Today's episode of the Mets Up Podcast is sponsored by Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. First off, that's huge. And that's what we use here on the Mets Up Podcast. I highly suggest it. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your own phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many other streaming services. And you're allowed to make money from your podcast from day one with no minimum listenership. It's literally everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So make sure you guys download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. All right, Mets Up listeners, back again, episode number 14. You might notice me and James back in the same room. We went to the Mets game earlier today, game two of the Baltimore Orioles series. Saw a fantastic win by the Mets. Honestly, a pretty good series by this Mets team, getting a nice sweep over the Orioles in a short two-game series. Lots to talk about here, the return of Harvey, the Mets in that crazy walk-off Pat Mazika win yet again. And just just Mets are playing good baseball on a seven-game winning streak. So much good things to talk about. So much good things. That's not good English. So many good things. So many good things to talk about here on the Mets Up podcast. You guys know the drill. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Mets Up. We're going to have the YouTube video finally up. I know I've teased it the last few weeks. We're actually going to have this one up on the YouTube channel here. So Mets Up podcast on YouTube. Make sure you listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Seriously, guys, thank you so much. The support has been incredible. We've been getting more and more viewers every single episode, which is something that's good to see, you know, when you're making a podcast, but it seems like you guys are really enjoying it and we're going to keep giving it to you. So James, we're here in person doing the podcast again. Yeah. Episode number 14. How are we feeling about this Orioles series? Amazing. We're like kind of on like a nice little like high. It's like when people lie about having a runner's high. Like coming out of the Mets game today, we were both like kind of popping around, like a little pep in our step. It was great. Yeah, no, it feels good. Um, But yeah, it, it feels good. The Mets are playing good baseball. They're pitching well like they've been doing all series. And there's just so many positives to take out here. It seems like ever since the Lindor fight, ever since Quattlebaum has come in, which is we know Hugh is your guy. Quattlebaum is your guy. This Mets team has really turned it around. And today, specifically offensively, we saw what felt like truly the first breakout for the Mets with scoring runs. So let's not talk about game two just yet. Let's go ahead and get it started with game one, which was interesting to say the least. Yeah, game one, we have said this a lot this season where like the Mets season feels much longer than it is. Even we're not even 24 hours after the first pitch from game one. It feels like that game was days and days and days ago. It feels like it was so long ago. And even that game itself just felt like it was dragging on forever. Everything has felt like a bit of a marathon an epic to say the <laughs> least. Like it's just been so long. We're only in May and we are talking about just it feels like we're talking about very crucial situations when in reality it's only May. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Dante's Inferno was actually written about the New York Mets. Beowulf as well. Throw Beowulf in there, whatever it is. But game one, Mets came out there, and we had Marcus Stroman on the mound going up against John Means, fresh off a no-hitter. He has looked sharp all season long, and he continued it against the Mets. He didn't have his best stuff, but still didn't give up a run and kind of held us at bay. Oh, definitely held us at bay. The Mets weren't really swinging and missing or striking out, as they haven't done very much this year, as we've touched on. But John Means is becoming one of those annoying guys to face, and luckily the Mets won't face him probably for years after they finished their season series later this season. But I thought it was funny that my guy Mullins started off the game yesterday with a pesky little hit. Yeah, it's just Cedric Mullins. He had a pretty good series. He had a good series. Like, he is the definition of what feels like a pesky player right now. He's not going to hit home runs against you. He's not going to, you know, overpower you by any means. But he's going to drop these little balls in there. He's going to hit the ball hard on the ground places. And he's going to be pretty successful, and we've seen that thus far this season for him in 2021. Definitely, and immediately wipes himself off the base pads by trying to take home on that ground ball later in that inning. Loved which it. 
That was a big boon for the Mets because we learned they weren't planning on scoring very many runs last night. So one more run early could have very much changed the tide in that game, in a game that became very exciting. Yeah, and we got started off too good offensively. McNeil started to look really good ever since he's gone higher in the order. And I think I said it in a couple episodes ago, like McNeil definitely responds to where he is in the order. If you're hitting him 7th or 8th, it seems like he just kind of almost puts too much pressure on himself. I've never seen someone besides Nimmo really on the Mets as comfortable as he is in the leadoff spot. Dude, definitely. McNeil just seems to have more energy when he's starting off the game hitting. He looks like a completely different guy. Yeah. Like he has been peppering line drives all over the field since he came back to leadoff. And I really hope that he's not actually real life injured, which doesn't seem like he is because no. the Mets didn't place him on the IL, even though they desperately need that roster spot. Luckily, they blew the Orioles out of the water today, which we'll get to later. But I hope as he starts to figure it out, him getting hurt would just be just so bittersweet. Yeah, he was giving us some Jeff McNeil swings, you know, taking it to left field, taking it to right, not trying to lift the ball too much, which I'm all about launch angle, but for a guy like Jeff McNeil, his game is best when he's hitting line drives, and that's what he's been doing. He came out of the game early, seemed like they called it a cramp. It looked like he pulled yeah. up a little bit. So yeah, it was, a, ham- a hamstring cramp. Yeah, scary scenario. I think they called it body cramps, and it's a lie. That's that can't possibly be true, but it was smart to give him the day off today, and Peraza ended up stepping in. He came in immediately, got a couple ground balls that inning, Played them well, got a hit for us. Praz is a scrappy little player who, when a guy like McNeil goes down, it's nice to know, and we've said this time and time again, that we have major league quality players, and Praz is definitely one of them. Now, I think the silver lining to McNeil getting hurt, if you can find a silver lining to one of your best players being injured, is that Jose Praza has looked great in his limited sample, even pinch hitting last week when he finally made his way to the roster, and these last two days being in the lineup consistently. Like, this just shows the juxtaposition of a team being run by Sandy Alderson and a team being run by Brody Van Wagenen. Like, Brody Van Wagenen put, like, between 20 and 25 players together, and he was like, this is our team. Sandy has this roster for the deep of major league caliber players, and he's proving that so far from all the at-bats we've gotten out of Peraza now, VR, who's been an unsung hero this year, and Kevin Pillar, who's been a sung hero this year. These guys have been great. We The Mets don't have, the Mets aren't a first place team right now without really those last two guys, but even now recently Peraza being a good baseball player. Yeah, he's put together a fantastic roster here, Sandy Alderson, something that we saw him do in 2015. We talked about it a little bit when we were at the game ourselves today. Like, he just knows how to build an organization where Brody was more focused on building a team, and even then that team was incomplete. So it's nice to see a guy like Peraza come in, make an impact. He's not going to be our everyday guy. We don't expect that. But in his little scenarios, especially with a guy even like Yorme who's out due to an injury, Great to see that our third option, or even fourth option, because VR still technically is the main backup infielder, was able to come in and be productive, which we saw immediately. Lindor starting to swing the bat a little bit better, although we saw him bunt again, which, like, what, what's his deal with it that, doesn't man? make any sense. I don't know why he likes bunting so much. The entire baseball world has gone against bunting in the last decade. And for some reason, Francisco Lindor, a proven commodity at the plate, just seems to love it. He's laid down, what, two bunts what, seemingly on his own in the last five days, which yeah. I don't want to see him bunt ever unless it's like the scenario where we had him with McCann the other night where it was like first and second, need a run to win the game. Okay, understandable, but it made no sense. McNeil hit the ball well. You had me. He's been swinging the bat well too, right? No, like fine, recently. yeah. So I don't know. I didn't like that call, but it ended up not really mattering. Conforto's also like... Yeah, I was about to transition to that. He's back. He really has figured it back out again. Since that series with the Phillies after the Mets got really swept in two games by the Red Sox. And Fordo has been on the money. In those 55 plate appearances, which is spanning 12 games, he has 11 walks for six strikeouts, which is elite. That's really good. Incredible plate discipline. And nine RBIs and seven runs scored. Those are great numbers for over a 12-game stretch. And that shows that he is finally 
one getting on base, the guys behind him are heating up. And when the guys are on base ahead of him, he is finding ways to come through now. And that's good for a 145 WRC+. Yeah, it felt like Conforto was coming up at the beginning of the season with so many guys on and constantly couldn't come through. But now he's starting to get the hits. And even against John Means in game one, he didn't necessarily get the hits against him, but he put some really good swings on the ball, which leads us to this crazy stat about the baseball because in the first inning, Michael Conforto absolutely roped a baseball. And I mean crushed it. Let me pull up the numbers for you. James did this last week. I'm going to do it this week. We've got similar batted balls to Michael Conforto's in the first inning, and it's just not even close. So Michael Conforto, I'm looking at my tweet here. He lined out to right field 105.8 miles an hour at a launch angle of 22. It went 357 feet. Balls hit similarly from 2019 to 2020. Batters were 113 for 118. That's good for a 958 batting average. And I think even the ex, you know expected batting average on that ball was north of 900. So that alone, he should have got a hit. He got robbed that way. But then there were 81 home runs on a ball hit similarly. The balls suck. I hate these dead in baseballs. It's definitely a big reason why we're seeing the no-hitters just kind of go up this year, especially with guys like Wade Miley throwing a no-hitter. It's just... It's frustrating. Again, luckily it didn't end up mattering. The big thing to take out of Conforto in game one, hit the ball really well against a lefty, which we know he's had trouble with in the past, but seemingly he seems to have turned a corner and is looking like the Michael Conforto of old. Analytics Mark over here. I know, right? Breaking out the stats. Imagine me breaking out launch angle and expected batting average. We're not even very far removed, like two-ish years, from Michael Conforto sitting against every lefty. Yeah. And now this is a tough lefty, one of who's someone who's becoming one of the better left-handed pitchers in baseball, which is crazy to say as far as John Means has come in the last two years, but I think everyone can agree with that at this point. Yeah. And he stood in there and he took some hacks. And he should have, I don't know, he should have found the fence. It looks like Conforto's finally comfortable again. And that was something at the beginning of the year we just said, like, he he didn't look comfortable. He was trying to do too much. He was pressing about the contract. 100% had to be that. It had to be that the contract was on his brain there. Because he just looks like the same old Michael Conforto. It seems like someone got in his ear and told him, like, hey, play your game and you will get your money. You start thinking about home runs, you start thinking about being this different player, that's when you're going to be in trouble. I don't even know if someone got in his ear. I think similar to what we talked about last episode with McNeil and Lindor having the spat and finally stopped thinking. I think at some point over the last couple of weeks, Conforto just realized that this is baseball. Like He has to just stop thinking. This is what he's good at. This is everything he knows. Just play. And he just has cleared the mind, and he's been good. Well, was it you who told me about Quattlebaum? Was Conforto, did he say what Quattlebaum told them? Who was it that talked about that? I think it was Worthy last night. Okay. Yeah, he said, uh, he just basically said that Quadlebaum has told them to stop swinging at balls out of the zone, which is like the best advice I can ever imagine a hitting coach giving a team. And like, it almost makes you think like, was it really that simple? Like, hey, stop swinging at balls. And this Mets offense turns around because seemingly it has this year. Yeah, not to toot my own horn, but I'm going to do it for a second. Quadlebaum seems like in just a week, he has made a monumental impact on every hitter in this team. The Mets walk rate has almost doubled in the last week. That's huge. Huge. And the Mets were walking a ton anyway. The yeah. City Field flashed a stat today of most time most walks in the National League in May, and the Mets were the top four players. It it's was crazy. It went VR. If you can get Jonathan VR to walk, which is something that we've said before, and it might be years or Ernie's, he's allergic to walking. Yes, he he doesn't do it. This is a guy who had three zero counts last year. It would take hacks on sliders in the dirt. Like you could throw anything and he would swing. And he's still done that from time to time this season. But he's but. also, I think he walked in six straight games. It's crazy. It's so cool. But it was VR, Conforto, Alonzo, Lindor leading the National League in walks during this month. 
That's the quadle bomb effect. That's my boy. That's the quadle bomb effect. And then on the pitching side, we got another strong performance out of Marcus Stroman again, who continues to show that he's one, a legit pitcher and two, a vital part of this team's success. Definitely. He's been so good recently that I'm, I'm ready to start conversations with him about signing an extension because yeah, 100%. I think his game is going to translate very well to old age. Cause it's not like he really wins with velocity anyway. No. And he has gotten, I would say, better over the last two years of his career compared to the previous two years. Of course, those previous two years, he was recovering from injury. But he just seems to be very committed to improving. And he made a couple adjustments yesterday, separately from last game. Last game, I lauded him for how many sink, uh, sliders he threw. His highest rate that I've seen in his Mets career. But today, they were last night, they were back down to 31%, which is kind of where he sat the whole year. And he was very sinker-heavy again, basically 50% sinkers. But those sliders, at just 31% of his pitches thrown, garnered 14 swings, and he got eight whiffs on those 14 swings. That's a 57% whiff rate on that one pitch. That would be near the highest whiff rate for any pitch in baseball. That's unbelievable stuff. And the thing that he seems to be fearing with the slider is throwing it to left-handed batters. While he threw 28 total in the game, he only threw five to lefties. And the Orioles only had three lefties in the lineup last night. And the lefties aren't anybody you fear. Like, Santander's probably their best lefty, like, realistically, yeah. as a hitter, and he's out. Definitely. So. Mullins is the lefty, Galvis is a switch, and there's another lefty whose name is eluding me right now. I can't recall. Like, Chance Cisco, but he didn't play last night. Who's their... Uh, Rio Ruiz, that's who it yeah, is. Yeah, Rio Ruiz, yeah. Barely a major league baseball about, player. The fact that he's on the Orioles roster still is baffling he's terrible definitely and there's been some new research that's come out recently you Saris of the athletic put out a pretty good piece a few days ago talking about different batting splits against different pitches like what side of the plate you're on what side of the pitcher's throwing and he there was like with reason to believe i think hesker you know prompted some of this research because he's been very good this year just throwing two pitches yeah really a fastball and a slider and one of the big findings was that there's not much of a difference between throwing sliders like to the same handed batter and to the off-handed batter so if that's something that Marcus Stroman feels comfortable with, and clearly he did feel comfortable with that last time out, that sinker is a weapon. The sinker on only 30% of his pitches was responsible for more than half of his whiffs. Wow. Eight whiffs on the slider, like I said before. He only got six with every other pitch. That is his path to maintaining this ace-level performance. Yeah. Staying a guy who has a low three ERA and who can pitch into the sixth, seventh, and eighth innings in most games he pitches. That is his key. Another big key for Stroman last night was he threw 14 splitters, the most he's used so far this season. Love to see that. So something that we said earlier, seems like as the weather warms and he's getting a better grip on the ball, maybe a little bit more humidity in the Queen's air, Yep, he's becoming more comfortable with that pitch. And having another dominant off-speed pitch would just send him directly to the moon. And it seems like, I mean, we talked about, you talked about extension a little bit earlier. He is the kind of guy who, depending on the day, depending on the kind of team, he can change what kind of pitcher he's going to be. We've seen him be exclusively like sinkers some days. We've seen him go to the slider a lot in some days. You saw him use the splitter last matchup. He's been a swing and miss guy. He's been a contact guy. The versatility that he brings, along with the kind of stuff that he has, this is a dude who can repeatedly continue to have success like we've seen this season. This isn't a fluke. He's a good no. pitcher. He's a very, very good he's pitcher. Fantastic. He's fantastic. I would call him cerebral. Yes. Cer Ooh, I like that. There's our SAT word. We haven't done that in a while. He like always plays with a chip on his shoulder and he's really living up to it this year. He's pitching like an all-star pitcher right now. Dude, something else crazy about Stroman that just came to my mind doing this breakdown is his last three starts, he has had a different featured pitch every time. Yeah. Two starts ago, he threw more four-seamers than anything else. Last start, more sliders than anything else. And this start, more sinkers than anything else. That alone, like from a preparation standpoint for a team, it's hard because you can look at three different games and he's three different kind of pitchers. That's really, really tough to prepare against, especially when he is a good pitcher. It's not like he has mediocre stuff. He has some good stuff. 
Oh, he's awesome. Yeah. He's always been awesome. So I, I love to see Stroman pitching well. We are not in first place, obviously, without Marcus Stroman. That doesn't really need to be said. That's a little, you know, brain dead, a little obvious, Captain Obvious there. But I think he's a little bit of the unsung hero on this team, a little bit of an MVP maybe because he has carried this pitching staff along with Jacob deGrom. On our preseason preview, I said that Marcus Stroman was the most important player in this team. And yep. he, has, he has taken that, I don't even know what to call it. He shouldered that load and ran with it. Yep. It's amazing. He's He's been great. And he did give up a run. There was a little bit of you know stuff there with him and Rojas. Didn't really want to come out of the game, it seemed like, yeah. when the base is loaded. Kind of looked like he had a tantrum, too, in the dugout. A little bit, yeah. Mets forced the Orioles' hands to take out John Means, which I know you love. I do love that. I, I love National League Baseball. Mark, Mark doesn't like National League Baseball. New school. I'm a little more old school, even though I like analytics more than he does, which is kind of ironic, saying it out loud. But I think I, think I probably would have liked to keep Stroman in that game to face DJ Stewart rather than bring in Loop, but... It turned out to be a non-issue because the Mets just kind of rode the wave into like another incredible late inning comeback. Which, you know, thank you Orioles for having Cesar Valdez be your closer. In case you guys didn't watch the game or missed it, look up Cesar Valdez. This guy throws an average velo, I think, of 78 miles an hour. He is literally the anti-pitcher in Major League Baseball right now. 80% change-ups. 80% change-ups, and it's, I think they call it a dead fish change-up. It's, it's not a good pitch by any means. That's so disrespectful. His entire game is that he throws slower than anybody in Major League Baseball on every single pitch. That is his gimmick. He is not going to throw harder than 84, 85 miles an hour if he ever decides to throw a fastball. He comes from a little bit of a funky arm slot, has a lot of movement going on when he does throw the ball, and it just kind of floats there. So when you're up at the plate, it's just way back, way back, way back. We saw Kevin Pillar come up and just miss a home run. I mean, by a smidge. They called it a home run originally, and then after a replay, I mean, it was blatantly... They didn't even actually even go to replay. It no, was, they just talked. Yeah, it was very clearly a foul ball. That was so cruel. And he didn't have a good swing on the next pitch, and I was like, ah, oh, he's out of the at-bat. But he scrapped it together, got a single for us, got the inning in the rally started, followed up by Jonathan Villar, who I think might have been first pitch swinging to Cesar Valdez. Whatever it was early in the count, hits it through the hole first and second, and one of our, I don't want to say favorite players because it's a little sarcastic now, but a guy who's a little bit of the, you know, the Billy Goat on this team, the scapegoat, James McCann comes up and it just didn't feel good. Oh my God. I'm so tired of James McCann. I want to stay positive about talking about this rally. I have a monologue. Do you, should I go into it now? Or just go into it now. After? Just right. know that James is going to have some stuff to say about James McCann. It's all valid. I think I am still a McCann guy. I still think he's going to be able to turn around, but there's no doubt he's been playing poorly. James is going to tell you how bad he's been. Yeah, I'm becoming very tired of James McCann. Mark can tell you that I wasn't very enthused with the signing. It felt like the Mets kind of overestimated what the catcher market was going to look like. The new front office got a little bit antsy and wanted to get something done as quickly as possible. But this guy has been uncontrollably bad at the plate over the course of this season. His OPS is under 500 right now. It's bad. That's like shocking it's almost hard to do especially even that he has one home run that usually will push your ops to a certain point just one of them he only has one of them i think that might be his only extra base hit maybe another double or two yeah i don't i honestly can't remember the last time he got an extra base hit since that home run it's been a long time and after today's game to that nito played thank god my guy nito mccann had caught 25 out of 31 games the mess have played 
25 out of 31. That's a crazy percentage. No catcher in baseball should be catching 80% of their team's games besides maybe Salvador Perez, JT Real Muto, and Yadier Molina 10 years ago. Yeah, absolutely not. Now, the most he's ever caught in a season was back in 2018 with the Tigers. He caught 112. And the year after that with the White Sox, he caught 102. But that year with the Tigers was far and away the worst year of his entire career. So got him kicked off the team, essentially. He was non-tender. To non-tender yeah. a guy who's competent at defense at catchers, that, it, you have to be so piss poor at the plate. And he was piss poor at the plate. He was He had a two 220, 267, 314 slash line with a 56 WRC+. plus. It's bad. That means he's 50% worse than the average hitter in baseball. 50% worse. That's yeah, pretty horrible. You could throw a rock out your window and hit someone 50% worse than the average hitter in Major League Baseball. And then he did have very good seasons in 2019, 2020. 2019, he did catch 100 games, which it's not 80%, but still plenty. But that was a very different baseball to the one we're using this year. That 2018 baseball is more similar to this year's than either of the last two seasons. And now you stare at this guy who can't seem to hit the ball. He can't lift the ball. He's already grinding into six double plays. He, he oh. is just pounding balls into the ground. And that one of the big things that happened in Chicago was he was starting to hit the ball in the air a lot more. He's just... I, I, don't, I honestly don't know the last time he hit the ball well to the outfield. I can't even recall it. Like, I don't have, like, anything in my memory that positive that James McCann has done at the plate in the last two weeks since that Chicago series. It's been tough. And he's 30 years old. And he has a four-year contract at $10 million a year. That's way too much for anyone this caliber. I have prepared a list of guys who have been signed over the last three off-seasons who make less than $10 million a season. Guys from all different positions come from all different teams, all different ranges of talent. A couple catchers on there, too. A couple catchers on here. I guess I'll start with the catchers then. Jan Gomes of the Nationals, who's been a fantastic defender in his career. A bad hitter, markedly so, but only makes $5 million. He makes one half as much money as James McCann. And he is a better defender, 100%. He is. He's a better defender. He's an elite framer. He doesn't miss plays. But the Nationals still only use him in like 50% of games. Yeah, they him and Suzuki worked because they didn't play every single day. Definitely. I think we were a little bit disillusioned to think that James McCann was like a bona fide starting catcher rather than like a strong side platoon guy. Another Met favorite, Travis Darno, was signed for only $8 million. I think that was this offseason. That, that one hurts. That stinks. That hurts. Even though he's injured right now, he'd been swinging a hot bat and had been better defensively, even though he has a noodle for an arm, not the McCannon, which is the one thing James McCannon has done very Sick well this arm. season. Sick arm. Jerickson Profar, who plays all over the field and gets on base like nothing in the world, signed for four and a third million this offseason. Drew Pomeranz, one of the best relievers in baseball, is making eight and a half. Mark Melanson, the league leader in saves, is making the no, second now. Jake McGee is making yeah. two million dollars. Yeah, he's looked good. And then, if you really want to get personal here, a couple guys who the Mets signed just this offseason for less than ten million dollars: Taiwan Walker, who has been a fantastic starting pitcher for us, and Trevor May, who looks like one of the best relievers in baseball. These are guys making less than ten million dollars. I don't as great as the Mets front office has been since Steve Cohen took over the team. I have no idea what they were thinking in giving James McCann a four-year, $40 million contract. And I think that we're all beginning to probably realize that. Yeah, I will give you credit. From the start, you said too much. I didn't think so because really at the end of the day, it is it is $10 million, But when you put it into the perspective of what it could have been spent mm-hmm. on instead, I think that's really where it starts to hit home. I still think that there is a player somewhere there in James McCann. Oh, I just... I haven't been able to watch his at-bats too much this year and compare him to last year. There has to be something mechanical going on because he's just simply worse. By all, He's had one barrel this year. You know what the one barrel is? His home run. I don't want to shit on the guy because I, I, he's a good dude and he's been great for us defensively. But he has been, I mean, embarrassingly bad, bad at the plate. Last night, so this is where we come back to the game now. Last night he came up first and second. Was it nobody out? One out? I think nobody out. Nobody out. Whatever it was, he came up with VR and Pilar on first and second, and he came up to sacrifice bunt. Couldn't get the first one down, 
Whatever, he's a catcher. I get it. Not guys don't know how to bunt anymore. You want to hear a stat about James McCann? Yes, he has a lot of sacrifices. Seven sacrifices in his career. Yeah, so I he's know. capable of doing it. For some reason, though, he offered at a pitch up and in. Yeah, everyone knows from playing MLB the Show that you throw the up and in pitch when someone's gonna bunt. That's the hardest pitch to bunt in the game. No, it's it's really tough. And I, it got to the point where I said, as long as he doesn't hit a ground ball, I'm happy. He can. I asked for a strikeout. I said, strikeout, we're feeling good. It's kind of where it is with James McCann. That was the biggest play of the inning. He arguably was the MVP that he struck out and didn't put the ball yes, in play. Yes, 100%, because I thought there was a very good chance of him ground to a dull play, because he's ground to a dull play in every single at-bat this season. Feels like it. And even if he got that sacrifice bump down, there's a better chance than not that Dom Smith would have been walked, yeah. and then Pat Mazika would have come up with us still losing the game. Yeah. No, it definitely was no outs then, because of course you walked Dom Smith yes. to face Pat Mazika with two outs. Yes. That, yeah, oh my god, it's just... But that was that was the turning point that ninth inning, James McCann only making one out. Yeah, no, that was, that was a huge turning point, and it allowed Dom to get up. Dom drove one to right field for a single, drove in a run, got Pilar in. The Mets are then, what, tied or down... Tied. Tied at that. Tied. Dom Smith, the Ruby single. Clutch clutch from Dom. Turning a corner. Clutch for Dom. And we'll talk about it a little more in game two. Tied it up. And then we got the legend, Pat Mazika, up at the plate, which this guy can't do anything right, but he also can't do anything wrong. He's no. still yet to get a hit, but he has three RBIs. And they've come all in big situations, two of which for walk-offs. And he did it again. A slow chopper ground ball to first base. Trey Mancini kind of stayed back on it. I think forgot how fast VR is. Might have been even caught off guard that he was going on a ball that in most cases, is a guaranteed out. Throws the ball home. VR makes a great side. Mets win the ball game. Thank you very much, Cesar Valdez. Big time balls from VR darting home on contact on that play. That ball wasn't like exactly smoked because I don't think Pat Mazika can smoke a baseball. No, it's tough. No, and also he give credit to Pat Mazika where it's due. He fouled off some tough pitches. He had a good at bat. Yeah, four or five foul balls. Yep, big time. But VR like a bat out of hell, just bolted down the line. He was scoring that run whether we liked it or not. Yeah. He had a hysterical quote when he went first to third in that ground ball last week in St. Louis or whenever he did that. I don't remember exactly. I keep getting confused with the Glaber. Yeah. First to home in my head. But someone asked him like how he was able to do that. And Jonathan VR said, I'm not afraid to play baseball. Love to hear it. And that's kind of how he looks like he's been playing. He looks very loose. He's made a couple errors. Loose he's a goose. He's going to make errors because he's just not good defensively. If nothing else, Jonathan VR is loose. But he's been making an impact. And again, part of the bench mob, as we've heard from Tomas Nito, that they're so-called, the bench mobs have been big. We are not in first place without the bench mob. And that is something that we talked about in our preseason talk with the Mets. This bench is going to be what separates us from a team like the Phillies, from a team like the Braves, from all these other teams in the National League, besides the Dodgers and Padres, who also have that depth. No one can really compare to us in baseball with this kind of depth. It's not possible. Definitely. If you look at the way the best teams in baseball are built, they are 3-4 deep at every single position. The Padres are not shy about getting multiple guys who do similar things. We just touched on Profile. They signed Hassan Kim. Hassan Kim starts at shortstop on a lot of teams. Yeah, many teams. Like, yeah. they have, they're deep and deep and deep. Look at how many injuries the Dodgers have sustained this year, and they're still near the top of every single hitting category in baseball. And even pitching. Definitely, yeah. This is this is the ecosystem that the Mets have created through Sandy Alderson this offseason, and it's beautiful to watch. It's really nice to watch. We got Pat Mazika through it all, who is the folk hero. The folk hero. Pat Mazika probably won't ever turn out to be anything special, no. more than you know the guy that we do call up when we need a backup catcher. But right now, Pat Mazika is riding that wave all the way to the top, and he just he keeps stepping up when we need him. I just hope he actually gets a major league hit. I would love to see him get one this hit. This would be the craziest trivia question of all time. If he has to go through this season, or probably gets sent up and down as we do some roster moves next few weeks with some injuries, if he never actually gets a hit. Like, what Met had zero hits, but had two walk-off RBIs in the same week? Uh, Pat Mazika will be the answer to that, which, you know, I think that's probably enough of game one, because game two, 
is really a good one. Because the Dark Knight returns, and just like I had hoped, the Dark Knight crashed and burned. Um, I don't wish bad on Matt Harvey. No. Go pitch well the rest of the season, sure. I My whole stance with Matt Harvey is he is no longer on the Mets, so I am... Uh, what's the word where you don't take a side? I'm, I don't indifferent. care. I'm indifferent. Switzerland. Yes, I'm Switzerland with Matt Harvey. Do what you want. It makes no impact on my life. I'm just glad to see that the Mets put some runs up on him because, as I've mentioned on the podcast before, there's people on Mets Twitter, there's a conglomerate that likes to think that Matt Harvey deserves to come back to the Mets and be a part of this run that we're going to make. And there's just no reason to have him on the no, team. I think people have a very romantic idea of what Matt Harvey still could be because of the pitcher he once was. And he was so sick with us. He was disgusting. He's just simply not that guy anymore. Like, I don't want Matt Harvey on my team the same reason I don't want Wade Miley on my team because they're not good pitchers. Yeah, they're just simply you not good pitchers. probably are not going to win a World Series with Matt Harvey pitching meaningful innings for you. It's just not going to happen. He's not very good at this point. The guy just goes out there every fifth day, and he guts it out with no stuff. On the season, he's averaging 60% fastballs at 93 miles an hour fastballs and sinkers and fastballs when a guy developed a sinker late in his career that's how you know they're down bad matt harvey's just down bad like, and he doesn't is... get the movement like bartolo got no. late in his career either. he can't just like use the finger pressure and put the ball wherever he wants it's very straight like i'll give it to matt harvey he very easily could have walked away from the game and had his little career with the mets and been fine he's trying to come back he's trying to do something he's got a spot with the orders he's going out there every five days like you said He's just simply not that good. But back to the game, he got a nice standing ovation, got a lot of claps, yeah. deserved it. I got a little sappy thinking about Harvey during the game today. I was just like, man, like what it could have been. I, I think you could reminisce. I know. You feel bad for the guy, and he definitely got emotional. Like He got two pretty nice ovations, one when he took the mound, and two during his first at-bat when he was announced. And shout-out to Tomas Nito for stepping out and letting yeah, him get was, the ovation. That was a classy move by my catcher, Tom, Tomas Nito. But... Harvey gave a nice wave to the crowd. And after the game, he had some pretty emotional words that have been really circulating on Twitter. And it kind of feels good for a guy like Harvey, who was a little bit dickish, yeah, for lack of a better term, during his time with the Mets, to be very like introspective and like earnest I think Tacoma, and genuine. I think Tacoma put it the best. He's like, very rarely we've ever seen Matt Harvey like this. And it seemed like the ovation, because I, I truly think Matt Harvey thought in the back of the head he was going to get booed. I did too. I think he thought he was going to get booed. You thought I was going to boo him. I wasn't going to. But... <laughs> But you've been defaming him for months. <laughs> Listen, I just don't want him on the Mets. Enough. That's an old Mets problem. But I think getting that ovation to him, I think it kind of just made him feel like almost like, damn, like, yeah. even though I went out on bad terms and even though I was kind of an asshole towards the end, these fans still cheered for me. They still had my back. Definitely. He said after the game, and he, if anyone hasn't listened to it, he had like a two-minute monologue when he kind of just went into his entire lifetime with the Mets and reflecting on it years later. But something he said that stuck out to me was he feels bad that he let those fans down. And that's just something that Matt Harvey, during his time on the Mets, he never would have heard him say. No way. But it's, I don't know. It's, it's kind of like watching him grow up a little bit. Like he yeah. kind of went away for a few years and he's come back like an adult, a different person. Not that he wasn't an adult before. He was a grown man. He's still older then than I am currently right now. But the maturation in Matt Harvey is something that's nice. It's a cool sideshows going on in Major League Baseball this year. On the other hand, I was thrilled that we kicked his fucking ass today. I'm so happy. That was awesome. I said I wanted 10. We got 7. 70% of what I predicted, considering I asked for a ton, is great. I mean, he just, like we said, simply just isn't a good pitcher anymore. There's nothing there. There's just nothing there. He, so you're talking about 70%. He threw 73% fastballs today, and inside that is 56% sinkers and 17% fastballs. He did not throw another pitch at least 10% of the time. That's crazy. No singular breaking ball 10% of the time. Every major league hitter is going to hit that. Somehow they haven't this year. Yeah. The year is okay. I don't know who he's been pitching against. We just hit it. First time all year, felt like the whole team was hitting. Yeah, I mean, we, we put up seven runs. That's got to be up there with the most runs we've scored in a game this Three year. Runs like. Three runs in an inning. Three runs in an inning twice. Everyone got a hit in the lineup except Tomas Nito and the pitcher. So every single guy, one through nine, you know, 
sans no Tomas Nito, got a hit. We saw Dom Smith go three for four today, which is huge for Dom. The power still hasn't been there, but it doesn't feel like this Mets team is necessarily going to be hitting for a lot of power this year. But you go three for four, Dom. That's a great day any way you slice it. You know what the key was today? What? Risp. Risp. Yes. Oh, we were walking into the stadium and you're like, Harvey, you know what we're going to see a lot of today? I'm like, what? You know, risp. Risp. Tons of risp today. The Mets had 10 opportunities to hit runs in scoring position and got seven hits. For everyone keeping track at home, that's a 700 batting average runs in scoring position. 700. Your boy Dom, three for three with risp. Let's go, Dom. Our guy Peraza, two for two. Peraza had a nice little game. Great little game. Good defense, too, from him. He, again, he's just, he's a very serviceable backup, and he's our fourth or fifth option, which is crazy. Not very long ago, Jose Peraza was a top 50 prospect in Major League Baseball. Getting close to 200 hits a season. Stealing 20 back. He got near 2020 season with the Reds, I think in 2019-ish, maybe 2017, the first year of the Juice Ball. I don't remember exactly. It It all fades in time before COVID. But... The first time all season, I actually felt good about the Mets' approach and like just the way that the Mets' offense had been performing this year was Lindor got a single. You were getting a hot dog. It should have been a double. I don't know why he didn't stretch that. The guy is fast. He just seemed to not be aggressive, which it ended up working out because he stole second. Boo-hoo for me because I said Lindor is no longer <laughs> stealing bases and he's stolen two bags in the last four games, which I love. I want to see him steal bases. Yes. If I had to jinx Lindor to get him to steal more bases, I know he's listening. Like that's a win. That's a win for the Mets Stop podcast, and for all Mets fans in general, and for Cisco Lindor and fancy baseball owners near and far. But he got the stolen base, and then Dom was up with two outs and a man on second. They were shifting him heavy. Yep. And Dom took a step back because Lindor actually stole on a pitch that wound up being a called strike. Mm-hmm. So Dom went in the hole to let Lindor steal a base. Like you got to be a real good hitter to deal with that kind of shit, especially with two outs. Definitely, especially with two outs. And he just popped a nice lazy single right where the shortstop is supposed to be. Lindor rounded third and came home. And for the first time, I like exhaled and was like, things are okay. This is what we've been waiting for. The Orioles are not a good baseball team. They're better than the past, but they're still not a good team by any means. They're going to be the bottom dwellers in that AL East for sure. The Mets came out. And while the first game was a little closer than we liked, you did go up against their ace. Which is understandable. He's a good pitcher. So it's going, he should be keeping it close. That is his job. That's why he's there. But when you go up against Matt Harvey, which is a guy that we should have shelled, and we did shell, it finally felt like that's the Mets team we've been waiting for. And we're riding that seven-game win streak. We're playing good baseball. Hugh Quattlebaum, whatever he has done, man, with the Ratter Raccoon, whatever has been going on recently, keep that juju flowing because this team is smacking the ball around the field all over the place, and I love to see it. Amazing week in Mets land. Amazing week. I want to touch on Taiwan for a little bit. Our day man. Day man. Uh, gotta, gotta give a shout out to the... It's always sunny as always. Got to our guys. Yeah, love them. But our day man defeated the Dark Knight. Yes. He is the master of the sun, pitching almost exclusively in day games this season, which is such a weird, funny, stupid baseball coincidence. Like, we'll probably tweet from the Mets up tomorrow some Taiwan day game stats, because it's been basically the whole season. But today was another very weird game for Taiwan where he didn't have the peak velocity that he's been showing for a lot of this year. A big reason why we've both been so confident in him moving forward. He didn't throw a pitch 96 miles an hour, which is a little bit troubling, but he adjusted and he focused on his off-speed stuff more than any particular game this season. He threw just 30 total fastball and sinkers combined in 97 pitches. That's a crazy low number for any pitcher in baseball. Even the junk ballers like Wang Young Kim and Adam Wainwright. Cesar Valdez. Cesar Valdez. (laughs) He he does that. But no one really does that on a regular basis. He threw 57 sliders and splitters and then 10 curveballs. So 67 of his pitches out of 97 off-speed, big time. Last start, he was almost 50% four-seamers with no sinkers at all, and every single off-speed was secondary. So just like Stroman, this guy has shown the ability and the acumen to find out what's working for him, maybe in his bullpen, maybe early in the game, and focus on that as the game goes on. 
And when he's doing that, he's getting the whiffs, man. He had the more whiffs today in any start in his last four. 24%, which is a pretty good number. It's not great, but it's definitely good. Even though he only had 4Ks, the whiffs are positive. That sinker got no whiffs whatsoever, and it was his highest. He threw that more in his four-seamer. He left it over the plate a couple of times, which I checked back after the game, because it's hard to tell when you're in the stadium where a pitch is. Yeah. But there were a couple middle-middle pitches. That line drive that Austin Hayes hit. Michael Franco hit deep fly balls, too. Yeah, Mancini. Mid- these middle-middle sinkers. He's not going to get away with these forever. Taiwan Walker is going to regress. His ERA is not going to be in the twos probably this time in July. But he's a freaking solid arm. And what a great signing he's turned out to be. And what's great is that, like, again, if you told me a 3-5 ERA, for, ERA from Taiwan Walker this year, I would say, yep, sign me up. That oh, is an electric year ten for times him. Out of ten. And if this Mets team is continuing to hit like we saw them do today and recently, a 3-5 ERA, you're winning baseball games still. Oh, big time. With this offense, with the way we're going to go, especially the way our bullpen's been slamming the door, we saw our first Drew Smith appearance today. Our boy, Drew Flo. Happy to see him out there. Thought it was Robert Gesellman for a second. Yeah. But no, it's Drew Smith. He's got the flow now. He's got good stuff. This is, again, Great we, stuff. we talk about the depth time and time again. I feel like that's the theme of this team this year. Drew Smith is going to get sent down. He's going to probably be the first guy out when Lugo gets back, if I had to guess, so that he can actually get time in AAA and be ready when we inevitably do need him at some point. And he's good. He would be a, he would be a middle-of-the-pack reliever on probably most teams. Dude, the mark of the best teams in baseball, and I would say the best teams in baseball over the last collection of seasons are the Dodgers, the Padres, the Yankees, the Rays, the Astros. Those are probably basically the top five besides the Braves. Yeah, the Braves so. have the elite talent that they pay no money for, so they're a special case. But the thing that makes these teams great are pulling great players seemingly out of their ass. Yes. They create talent from thin air. Time and time again, guys like Max Muncy, Peter Fairbanks, Chris Nick Taylor. Anderson, Chris Taylor, Tommy Canely, every single guy who's ever played for the Astros in the bullpen. <laughs> They pull these guys out of freaking nowhere. And the Mets are starting to do that. You see the inklings of this team becoming one of the superpowers in Major League Baseball. That is happening before our very eyes. Our floor is so high right now because of the depth that we have built. It's a beautiful thing to watch. This team is playing the worst baseball I expect them to play all season. And, and we're on, in first place. And on a seven-game win streak. It's crazy. Every, like, I could not be more confident after a Mets start, which seems really weird because DeGrom is injured. Lugo and Carrasco haven't touched the field. Thor. Sit, yeah, Thor hasn't touched the field, but we didn't even expect him to yet. I kind of hope those other guys might be back. JD's hurt. Nimmo's hurt. James McCann, one of our big signings, has done nothing. Nothing. Francisco Lindor's OPS just got over 600 today, so I luckily probably don't have to name my firstborn Chalupa Batman. Yeah, I think you're going to be good. Yeah, I think I'll be okay with that. All those guys have been worse than expected, and we're still not losing games. Now, this team is scary. Scary good. I don't think people really understand. I think Uh -uh. if you're just watching the box scores and you're not someone who's really into Mets baseball right now, you're probably thinking, okay, they're fine. They're whatever. But if you you dive deeper and deeper into this team, you go, they're just scraping the surface right now. Like they have the potential to do big, big things. We could take off over these next couple of weeks. And that leads us, I think, into our next thing, which is going to be our our series coming up here. We go Tampa Bay, Atlanta, Miami. So we're not going to talk about Atlanta, Miami just yet, but we will talk about Tampa Bay. We're big Rays guys here. Me and James both had them in the World Series last year, and what do you know? They made it. Over a short season, that's what they're made for. They're still a very, very good team, very competent team. The Mets are going to be playing very close ball games with them and expect to be kind of uncomfortable that entire game. Expect stress. When you play the Bay Rays, you're in for 27 innings of stress because they play very good defense. They don't really hit the ball, but they're going to find home runs, and every single pitcher on that roster is going to get people out. Yeah, they just, they will be, there will be players that you have legitimately never heard of, and honestly, Rays fans might not have even heard of, that will come up at some point probably in this series and do something big. That's just what the Rays do. Jeffrey Springs. Where's Jeffrey Springs come from? He has like three saves or something. He's awesome. His whip is like .7. Rays simply don't care about saves. 
they the cool thing that they do and the thing that I love, and I think you're going to start to see teams use this more, and you saw in the playoffs, Nick Anderson got used in the eighth inning, I think, against the Yankees one game. And it was because they had their meat of the order coming up. Their best arm in the bullpen was Nick Anderson. Why would you want to have your eighth inning guy who maybe isn't as good as Anderson face the best players? That's what the Rays do. They're going to play matchups. They're going to play smart. It's going to bother you if you're a traditional baseball fan. You're probably going to hear Gary, Keith, Ron, whoever's doing it, probably moan and complain a little bit about what they're doing out there. But the fact of the matter is that the Rays have proven that it works time and time again. They're a really good baseball team with guys that you probably have never heard of. No, the Rays are one of the best organizations in baseball. And if someone doesn't agree with you, they're just not really hip to what's going on in baseball these days. And if we're going to want to beat this team this series, we are going to need the bats to come out because we are going to be thrown on the mound. David Peterson on Friday. Joey Lucchese on Saturday, and Sunday is going to be one of Sean Reed Foley, Jordan Yamamoto, or Robert Gazelman. Why does it feel like when Peterson and Lucchese pitch every single time, it's against a team that will crush left-handed pitching, which the Rays do because they'll play Yandy, they'll play Mike Brasso, who's just going to—he crushes left-handed pitching for a living. They'll throw all their outfielders out there who are right-handed bats. Manuel Margot, who's a Met killer, I'm sure will do something this weekend, unfortunately. This is a really, really tough matchup for the Mets. This is a great series to watch from afar and understand, like— these are the teams that the Mets, if they can beat, they're really doing something special because in all honesty, the Rays have every single advantage possible, I think, but they're not necessarily the better team on paper. They will just play smarter. Yeah. And we're catching two of the Rays, I would say most electric pitchers between Tyler Glasnow and Shane McClanahan. Guys who throw a hundred miles an hour, have yep. filthy stuff, no hit potential kind of stuff every time they step out on the mound. They don't go that long because of course the Rays just don't let their pitchers pitch into the ninth inning typically. But their stuff is absolutely disgusting. And then the other game, we get, what, Ryan Yarbrough, who's not bad by any means. He's kind of, I don't want to say this, but like a little bit of a worse John Means. His stuff isn't as good. He isn't as hard as Means. Yeah, but he will attack the zone. He's going to come at you. He's a crafty lefty. It's not going to be an easy game. There's going to be no easy games in Tampa. Every They live on winning one-run games. Yeah, definitely. And we're going to be... I mean, I don't know if we're going to be in a one-run game when David Peterson faces off against Glasnow. Might be tough. Because Tyler Glasnow probably has the best stuff in Major League Baseball besides Jacob deGrom. Yeah. Be- best stuff in the AL, I'll say that. Yeah. And I don't think that's in question. I don't think there's ever any, any other pitch in the AL is even close. Yeah. You're going to see Tyler Glasnow throw like a curveball or a slider, and you're probably going to like grab your couch really tightly because you're afraid. Got a guy to watch this series? You love your guys to watch. My guy to watch. I was going to do Jeffrey Springs. He's the new invented Rays reliever who's incredible. My other guy to watch is going to be Shane McClanahan. Yeah. Called up last week. He made his major league debut last season in the postseason, which he was probably one of the first guys in the history of baseball to do that. It's like him. uh, I think... Brandon Finnegan, Kyle Finnegan, one of those guys. Was Brandon, Finnegan. Was Brandon Finnegan. And yeah. he also weirdly was the first player ever to pitch in the college yeah. World Series and regular World but Series. But he didn't debut in the World Series. He debuted in the regular season. He just skipped the minor leagues. Ah, okay. That's what I'm... McClanahan debuted in the postseason. One, I have Ryan Weathers did too, by the yeah. way. If you want to get a good recap of the Rays, for pitcher list in the offseason, I wrote a full team preview for them. It was like 3,000 words, but just use Command F. Find the guys you want to find. It's dense. It's some great stuff. And almost everything I said has turned out to be true so far this season. So check that out. But McClanahan gas is 98. He's got impeccable control. He's probably only going to throw like 50 to 70 pitches, but they're going to be, they're going to look a lot different than Joey Lucchese's 50 to 70 High pitches. intensity. He's yeah. going to come out there and he's going to shove. And that's what raised pitchers do. They come out there and give you their most for as many pitches as they possibly can. And then the next guy steps up. So it's going to be a fun series to watch from, for us maybe, because we, yeah. we appreciate raised baseball. Yeah. And I like watching the race play baseball, as stressful as it is, and sometimes boring because they live and die by the home run and it's strikeout, strikeout, strikeout. Otherwise, they're a good team. If this, this, this could be a real statement for the Mets if you come out and win this series. If we can even win two games of this series, because the fact that we're going to have Peterson, Lucchese, Yamamoto, those are three guys most likely against the two race pitchers, I'd say with the best stuff. Yeah. 
that is going to be very, 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 very impressive. And it's going to bode very well for us moving forward. A huge divisional matchup next week against the Braves. Yes, which we will talk about in next episode. Mm-hmm. But great series against the Orioles. We've got another AL East matchup coming up here. We went to the game today. Beautiful day at the ballpark. It was great to be out there taking in the sun, rocking the Francisco Lindor jersey. Get a hot dog for $7, because why not? James, a little smart, he brings in his food, a water bottle. The man is thrifty. He knows what to do out here. I hit the bodega before the game, brought in my bacon, egg, and cheese, a bag of chips, a bag of cookies, two bottles of water, and a banana. And we, got free, and we got free parking. We did get free parking. We will not tell you where. No. We're, never sharing that. We were not sharing that because this spot might be the, the new secret. Elite. If you get a great view from the spot, too. You, you really do. And quick to the highway. So, love to see that. We also... Got a really interesting thing here. James, you got recognized at the game today. I did. That was great. We shout out to the Mets fan in the DH gate. Cool black Lindor jersey in center field. Homie, I wish I got your name, but giving you a shout out. It was great to meet you. Love meeting the listeners at the ballpark. Yes. It's weird to be recognized. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, yeah. it's happened a couple of times for me with the YouTube stuff, but to see the podcast, someone recognize you from that, that's cool. That means you guys are loving it. That means you guys are watching it. And you guys have shown amazing support. The numbers keep going higher and higher, which is Awesome. Absolutely love it. And then we also just like a weird story that happened in the elevator that I think if you've made it this far, you'll get a good laugh out of it. I'm going to let James handle it here because he, he tells a great story. Uh, thank you. I appreciate that. But we were taking the elevator down. I guess they opened the elevators recently. They weren't open on opening day. Okay. So I guess there's a new thing that now that we're easing the COVID protocols of the ballpark. So we jump into the elevator late, which I don't even know if it's allowed to be more than one. But Probably not. The woman just let us in. It's fine. We were wearing our masks. But there was a very curmudgeon man in the yeah. elevator who was not wearing his mask. He was just talking to us and the elevator attendant. No one was listening. He wasn't even making conversations. He was no. just saying things out loud. And he was taking sips of his beer in the elevator. And the very nice young woman elevator attendant, she's working hard. She's doing her thing. She says, excuse me, sir, could you please put your mask on? And this man from the clouds goes, ah, you think, well, if I stop paying my taxes, then you're not going to ask me to put my mask on? Mark and I just looked at each other like, what the fuck are you talking about? He was like, he's like, ah, they'll they'll come after you for the mask, but not after the taxes. It's like, dude, they they took down Al Capone from tax evasion. How do those things have to do with the other? There's no way at all that any money that you have from your taxes goes to this woman working for the Mets. This is not, she's not a public servant. Like, the Mets are a private company. It was so bizarre. And he looked at us as if he was like, ah, don't you agree, guys? He's like, no, we don't agree. And there was also that fan early in the game at our seats oh, up that top. was so weird. Some two guys asked me to take a picture for them, and I said, sure. And then one dude took his mask down for the picture, and one dude left his on. So I took a picture. I was like, oh, mask up or mask down? And then the dude took it down, but he was, like, looking at me. And then he just, like, turned to us for the next couple of minutes and was rattling off COVID statistics and data. He was like, he was like, ah, you know, you grab a beer and you don't ever have to have your mask on. That's that's for you guys. That's a free tip. Like, and that sounds like it comes from, like, an old man saying that. But this guy was in his late 20s, early 30s. Yeah. We had a lot of old people by us. He was not yeah. one of them. Early bird special game. Over by three. All the old people love to come A couple out. dudes having the book. That's electric. I love seeing a dude with the book. There were some very fun Queens accents in our section. I'm excited to be like 80 and have a book at the game. Like, ah, just taking notes, you know. <laughs> Doesn't really matter. No one cares. Keeps me into it. Yes. So it's really good. And it's great to be back at the ballpark. The great ballpark. to see the Mets playing well. Great baseball. And I think that's probably the perfect place to wrap up episode number 14 here of the Mets Up podcast. You guys know me, Giraffe Neck Mark, James Jeter had no range. Make sure you follow us both on Twitter. Follow us on Instagram, Mets Up. Same thing with our Twitter account. Follow us there. Keep dropping the, those follows. It helps us really grow the podcast even more. The video should be out on YouTube as well if you guys want to see that. We've kind of teased it the last few times, but... I forgot to hit live one day. and Last time I sent my wrong audio. Yeah, so we've been a little rough, but we're, we're back here together in person, ready to go. Episode number 14 of the Mets podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. 
Listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and that's where we're going to end today's episode. See you next time after the race series. Peace. Thanks, Thanks for listening. listening.